every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Kyle Christensen, Vice President of Marketing at Zwara. Prior to Zwara, Kyle served as the CMO of Six Sense, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Invoca, and Vice President of Marketing at Responsus, where he drove the growth of the enterprise business up until the company's $1.5 billion acquisition by Oracle. On this episode, Kyle shares his Demand Gen Master Plan that starts with a marketing strategy that permeates the entire company and explains why the best brand storytelling attaches you to a narrative of overarching change much larger than the company itself. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Kyle Christensen, Vice President of Marketing at Zwara, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and your host, and I am joined by special guest, Kyle. How are you? Ian, what's up, man? How are you? It's great to have you. I'm super excited to talk about all the things that you all are doing at Zora. You know, we've been a fan for a while and you have just a ton of knowledge that we'll dive into. So how did you get started in demand gen? Bit of a circuitous route. So I've been in enterprise software, weirdly, my whole career, which is kind of odd to say out loud. I don't know if any like kid wakes up when they're eight years old and thinks, man, enterprise software, that's what I want to do. But So it's where it's at. <laughs> yeah, but, but somehow landed there and um, really got my start on the marketing side in, in product marketing. And, you know, prior to that, I was a really hands-on technical guy, uh, was doing some development work and got into product management. And then my route into marketing was really in telling stories about the products for the companies I was working for. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that's really set marketing apart at the companies I've chosen to work for is the recognition that in order to do really great demand, you need to start with compelling underlying story. And without that, no amount of landing page optimization or keyword spending strategies are gonna are gonna work, right? So I came in from the route that the content, and the message is really what drives things. And then ultimately, as I grew in my career, I took over more and more parts of marketing, and then ultimately landed on owning the demand side of the house as well. And so, tell us a little bit for our listeners who don't know about Zora. Sure. So at Zora, we're focused on. One of the most important shifts in business, really, in, in the last hundred years, right? Which, which sounds dramatic, but but it's actually true. Every company out there is in this midst of shifting away from making products and towards selling services. So obviously, it started in software as a service, but you see it across media, even across manufacturing these days. And Zwar is the company that really helps other businesses figure out how to launch and scale and monetize their subscription services. And so your role as VP of marketing, what, what do you oversee? So really my role is looking after all things tied to marketing and pipeline. So it's everything from positioning and PR to contents to 
product marketing uh, in through to demand, which includes, you know, everything, campaigns, digital, and then through to our sales development organization, where we effectively call them ZBRs at Zora, Zora <laughs> Business Reps. Okay, let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? So this is where we're going to go. You can feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. What is your demand gen strategy? Sure. We're very much a, a focused account strategy when we think about generating demand. And, and like, there's different models out there depending on the type of company you are. You, know, you look at a company like, let's say, a, a Zoom or a Dropbox where you could sell to literally like anybody on the planet, uh, whether it's one individual up to very large enterprises. Zora, we're, we're pretty different. We say, look, we are a really strong fit in specific verticals and with specific types of companies. And we want to have a disproportionate focus of our dollars and resources against those verticals. And so our starting point is, is a, really an understanding of, let's say, high tech, for example, one of the fastest growing sectors in the economy. We're a really strong fit there. And we've got a list of certain number of accounts that we say these, these should be Zora customers and they look a lot like the existing customers we have. And that's our starting point. And from there, everything flows. So developing really, really clear value propositions down to how do we target those accounts, down to how do we invest in the right data, and what are the specific tactics that we need to map depending on how each of these verticals actually engages with us over time. And that might look really different. If we're talking to a manufacturing company, that journey, that path to purchase looks one way. If you're talking about a high-tech software company, it looks, it looks pretty different. So we've sort of started with that lens on verticals. And we've sort of layered on the right tactics accordingly with that buyer journey. To dive in a little deeper on that, on those personas, you talked about being very account focused. What does the like buying committee look like for those companies? Sure. You know, this is another layer of complexity to our business is it's multiple stakeholders. So in the stakeholders vary in priority depending on the type of company. Usually it's one of three. It's either a finance persona. So let's call it CFO or office of the CFO. It's someone in IT, so CIO or office of CIO, or potentially a line of business leader. So in particular, if we're selling into, let's say, uh, a Ford Motor Company, for example, who's a customer of ours, they started with a, some sort of innovation initiative where they said, hey, how are we going to transform as a company from being an automobile manufacturer into a transportation as a services company? And usually you have a, a general manager type person and he or she'll start the conversation with us. Yeah, it's super fascinating. I mean, and we're going to get into this a bunch about marketing a uh, marketing an, a revolution here or an evolution of the subscription economy. You know, you're not just marketing to those personas and saying like, hey, you should buy our stuff. It's like, hey, you need to rethink how you do your entire business and what consumers want from you. So, and I know we're going to go deep, super deep into that, but, you know, taking that, you know, aside for a second, those type of buyers are kind of the classic SaaS buyers, right? So it's probably folks that you've worked with in some capacity for a long time in your career. How do like those specific personas, the like kind of like the different SaaS personas, you have like the financial house, the line of business owner, and the, and the CIO, who all are kind of like the stakeholders in, in a SaaS product. How does that connect to like your demand gen activities that filters to sales? Like, do you have 
sales folks that are focused on specific personas like within that that they need to like shape and then like how does your kind of demand gen shape those you know those those go to market motions yeah got it got it so if you're not careful here there's a ton of complexity you can insert right that'll make your machinery you know just overbearing so for example we're focused on like three verticals and then you're like well you got three personas in each of those verticals and if you multiply that out now i need like nine different demand gen strategies right and this doesn't really work right and so our primary access tends to be really at the thinking about the company, right? And the and the vertical. So, you know, we would say, um, let's follow that thread. So you take manufacturing, you say manufacturing companies, what's our easiest entry point? Easiest entry point is going to be looking for a line of business persona, but let's orient our content and our campaigns and our ZBRs and, and their training and even our, our sales reps. Um, we're starting to go in this direction around really understanding that vertical and what's happening in that vertical and what's changing in the manufacturing sector. And then acknowledge that your easiest path to get someone's attention is going to start with a persona, like a line of business persona. Now you pivot that and you say, well, what about like a large technology company? And that world is going to look different. In that world, we're largely talking to likely a CIO who, you know, these are companies like, you know, visualize a large, you know, call it a Dell or Hewlett Packard, who a lot of their growth is coming from acquisitions. And so what they end up with is a stack of, you know, they've acquired 12 companies in the last year. And suddenly before they know it, they've got 12 different billing systems in the back end. And they're trying to consolidate and they want one unified platform that can do everything. And that's our entry point. But it's important because of our evangelical message that our messaging and our content and our entry point is really talking about what is happening in those industries as a starting point, uh, as opposed to what are the horizontal pain points that an individual persona might have. Yeah. That's that's exactly what I was curious about. I find it endlessly fascinating the the sprawl of which people get into that matrix that you just talked about. Well, we have three personas, and it's really not three personas, it's three like, you know, groups, like you said, office of the CIO, you know, so you have potentially a director of IT, you have, you know, different folks within that. And it just gets so complex that your messaging is just like now, all of a sudden, you have 12 different campaigns running, then you have 24 different campaigns for all those different things. Let's talk about the through line now. You're marketing something that is the future, that like we all know has been kind of like behind the scenes happening. And obviously, your CEO wrote a great book, uh, Subscribed, for our listeners. Go check it out. It's very illuminating about the subscription economy and where everybody's going. But you also have to market this too. How does that fit into demand? Yeah, that's the tip of the spear for us. So we, from the beginning, you know, look, at the end of the day, when we first started, we're like, look, we do billing. We're a billing company. Um, but given that Teen, our CEO, came out of the, the Salesforce engine, you know, he was employee number 11 there. He was there for like a decade. And um, so he learned firsthand the, the formula, which is don't evangelize, you know, why you have a really fantastic web-based contact management application, which is Salesforce in the early days, you evangelized that, you know, there's a massive sea change somewhere in the world and in Salesforce's, you know, language, that's a sea change in how technology is delivered, software as a service, everybody knows the story. Um, but but that was the formula. And so when he founded Zwara, it was, it was the same formula. And we recognized that if we really want disproportionate attention from the market and we really want to be, you know, attract the right talent, attract the most eyeballs, attract the most you know, interest from the media and the press. We need to attach ourselves to a larger narrative, a larger story. And that's been true for the last decade for us. And it's a core part of our DNA and our brand. And so in terms of specific demand generation tactics, you can think about this in a couple of ways. We use the subscribe brand 
as an asset, a strategic asset. So you mentioned the book. All we did when we wrote the book is, is we took all the learnings that we've seen over the last decade with all the transformation that's been happening across all these industries, and we just wrote them down you know, in a compelling way. And we didn't talk a lot about our product. We just talked about the change and strategies that companies are using to be successful. We use that in all kinds of ways, everything from direct mail campaigns that we send out to our target accounts to you know, giveaways at events to offers that our ZBRs are making when they are picking up the phone and saying like, hey, can we send your exec team you know, a dozen copies of the book? And that's a great entry point. Another example, by this time this podcast airs, it'll probably be live. Uh, we're launching a whole new site called subscribe.com. And if you go to subscribe.com, we think of that property as being a, a media property, right? We, it's, it's, it's purposely disconnected from Zora.com. And when you go there, what you're going to find is a series of videos and recurring uh, written content and like live interactive uh, virtual events that you can join all about strategies around the subscription economy and what techniques people are using to, to monetize their subscriptions. And the way we think about it is let's use that as an organic audience creation tool. So if we can sort of start with 10,000 people a month coming to that site, 20,000 people the next month, and over time, suddenly we've got tens, hundreds of thousands of people in that audience, we can use that as the, the tip of the spear. So when we try to aim our ZBRs and say, hey, where should you prospect? The starting point is go look for companies who are already interacting with our educational content or strategic content, and then use that as your wedge to sort of get in the door and start talking about our product. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool strategy. It's a really cool concept. And I've been following along to to Teen's writing. He has a uh, a killer, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, it's a it's a post each week, but it's a newsletter that I subscribe to from Zora that he writes about, you know, a different example that's going on in the subscription economy, right? And it's killer stuff because it is cutting edge. It feels it feels like you're getting an insight into what a lot of big companies are doing, or a lot of companies that might not be or are trying to figure it out or historically have figured it out. And it's like it's that perfect blend of this is stuff that is we have special access to because our team thinks different and we have special access to because our customers act differently. And it's kind of that perfect nexus where it's like, it's kind of only stuff that you all could create. And that stuff is really cool. Yeah, totally. That's, that's when your thought leadership investment turns into a differentiated asset that becomes part of the core brand, right? And so I think that's why one of the reasons why companies choose to do business with us is not just because, you know, we think we have the best product and they think that we have the best products because we've been doing this for long enough. Uh, we've been capturing these stories and packaging up in a way that, that gives people a roadmap of this is how you be successful. And so we use those stories in the marketing up front, like you just described with, with Teens Newsletter and the upcoming subscribe.com site, but then also back in our customer success programs where we're actually creating roadmaps for people strategically and say, look, once you go live with us, here are the pitfalls you're going to run into and here's how to avoid those things. And it creates this positive cycle where we make those other customers successful. We learn, we feed it back in the demand gen engine and our content and on and on. Let's go to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. Can you give me three channels or tactics that are your most uncuttable budget items? Sure. I'd say one is we kind of just touched on. It's, it's the investment that we make in content. And so we have on staff 
you know, not not your classic content marketer resume, but we've gone out and we've hired people with journalism backgrounds who are really just proficient at capturing the essence of some of these stories uh, as one example of content investment. Other examples would be we have a, a chief data scientist at Zora, and his job is to plow through our platform and derive insights that we could package up into content that we use to create initial interest. So I think, I think that's one massive thing that's core to our brand and the tip of the spear with our demand is purposeful investment in, in meaningful, interesting content. So that's one. Two, you know, um, direct mail actually uh, is, is really, really strong for us. I think given that we have an account-based approach, anytime we can leverage, you know, Teen's book as an example to crack introductions with executives of other companies, it's just, uh, it's continued to, to pay for us. It's, it's simple, nothing super special about it, but I think you, you do have to pair it with the right content offer, right? I think it's not enough just to send, you know, a bottle of wine, right? I think it will really see traction as we can do something in touching grabbing, but pair it with some meeting piece of content is, is a second. And the other thing about the book piece, and this is something that, you know, I think obviously like creating a book for book's sake might not be the best idea, but creating a book that actually has a clear vision and an idea behind it. The nirvana there is that you have multiple people within the same organization that all read the book, that get the same insights, that see the change that that they want to be, right? Like that's why I think something like that can be so powerful. And because it's a physical book and it sits on your, you know, your desk, you have that kind of moment where it's like, okay, maybe I'll read a chapter or two. Maybe I'm not going to read the entire thing, but you get to the point where like, I, I got to check this company out and, uh, and they know what they're doing and they're smart enough to get all of our team talking about it. It accelerates word of mouth. hundred percent. And, you know, our, our more holistic strategy is, you know, we want to send the executives the book, but we hope that maybe a greater portion of your company is also subscribed to our newsletter. Um, and now with the launch of subscribe.com, we hope that, you know, there's organic inbound coming in for other people who are reading that stuff. And then before you know it, they're all talking about, hey, did you read that article? Oh, no, I, I missed the article, but did you see this chapter in the book? Or, you know, hey, by the way, let me forward you this email from from Teen on, on his perspective on, you know, what, what happened with, with Ford this week or whatever it might be. That creates organic discussion that we don't have to foster, right? It just kind of happens on our own. But I would say the important thing is, you know, if you're going to do it, you, you got to commit to it, right? You can't do superficial content because it's not interesting. There's so much competition out there now for mindshare and time in terms of what podcasts people listen to or what articles I'm going to read on the weekend that if you're going to go this route, like you got to invest, you have to have the right people, you got to have the right data, you got to have the right narrative that you want to attach yourself to. It's not enough to put out listicles and things like that to drive that conversation. So that's why we invest there. You know, and, and you asked for three, I'd say the third for us, is anything that can give us what I'll call signals of what our target customers are doing. And so a couple examples of that might be, you know, G2 crowd that everybody knows. They'll, they'll give you signals and insights if someone's on their site researching your product category. Or, you know, we're a customer of, of Sixth Sense, right? And there's lots of competitors out there in the same predictive space that'll kind of tell you, hey, you know, this company is spending time on your website and opening your emails. Um, you know, if, if we're targeting... 10,000 customers in North America, and we want our ZBRs to be doing outreach that's really targeted uh, and, and invest the time in doing really custom development of messages, it's important to aim that energy and that focus in places where we're already seeing smoke signals pop up. So, so anything we can invest in, they'll give us that intelligence on which companies are already paying attention to us, we'll go in for. Yeah, so I was going to ask, um, the first two things you mentioned are notoriously a little tougher to track 
if they're working. And then the third thing that you mentioned, obviously, is is very focused on uh, on data and, and tracking if it's working. Um, how do you kind of blend measurement um, measurement of different channels that might not always be the easiest to uh, to track to the very end? Yeah, th- that is one of the reasons why we're trying to set up this sort of dedicated website that becomes the hub for all this content is because it's been a challenge, to be honest, particularly for sending offline books in the mail. Um, you kind of have to look at that pretty uh, in a pretty analog way. That said, the other signals are, you know, everything else we're doing is, is pretty digital, right? So we've got insight into who's reading the newsletter. You know, obviously we get insight into who's attending our virtual events and things like that. And so we said, look, if we could package it all up on one hub and you throw some predictive analytics on top of that, um, it just becomes a much cleaner source of truth. But that said, like we have all these different, um, we call them, you know, smoke signals that are out there and um, we haven't quite created the holy grail yet, which is like, what is the one end all be all source of truth that tells us that you throw all these signals, whether it's an MQL or a six sense flag or a G2 crowd flag or whatever it might be into the soup. And this is like your perfect magical signals of who's doing what, right? So it's not quite there yet, but that's the aspiration. Yeah. We had Latney uh, on the, on the show a little bit ago and she was, uh, as always, she's evangelizing for the death of MQLs. So I am. I was going to ask you about just leveraging Sixth Sense in that way to be able to try to get some of those signals. These things are, I mean, some people say like a signal is, to me, an MQL is just another signal, you know, and um, it's just a, just a flavor of smoke signal. And that's a flavor that says that, hey, somebody downloaded this white paper. And I don't necessarily, I, I love Latin's positioning on this stuff, right? So she's taking a bold stance on it. But I think that there's a place for both. Where you can say, yeah, somebody downloaded a white paper from my website. That's an MQL. It's a classic flavor of smoke signal. But let me pair that with another smoke signal, which is something I would get from Latin and Sixth Sense, which is, hey, so-and-so is you know, researching your category on a third-party website or somebody from that company is on your website. They're all just flavors of signal. In my mind, I'd, I'd love to combine them all, right? And, and, and I'd love a tool that would, would help me you know, combine all that stuff in one place and just say, look, of all your target accounts, like this one is the one that's popping up right now. So secure ZBRs on it, secure partner guys on it, secure AEs on it, and um, and that's where we should spend our time. What's one budget item that is not working, or you think is fading away, or hasn't worked in the past, or something that you kind of just generally stay away from? Uh, good question. I think for us, I, I think about something like a content syndication, where we um, will push our content out through partners, and the hard part I have with it is you tend to lose the connection with the customer directly. And so, you know, you, you throw this stuff out there and you lose control of the way your information is presented and you lose clarity around exactly how these people are being brought back to your doorstep. Oftentimes you just find when we call on these folks, you just get confused reactions. Like, I don't know who you are. I don't know why you're calling me. We just found that would rather invest that money in channels that allow us to present and create the narrative the way we we want and prefer and we have more trust in in um you know the insights that we're getting yeah that's a fascinating distinction we haven't heard that one yet on the show but it kind of follows the same belief of like it's almost a subscription economy thing right it's like if there are partners media partners that you're relying on to access their audience and you're spending a lot of money to do that and trying to figure out different ways to do that is that potentially just like a little bit of an old way, right? Like, do they actually have 
the connection to their audiences as much as they think they do? And, or is it worth it to just build the audience yourself? And, you know, like it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting question. I think digging deep and getting the layers of the onion on that, I think you find that certain channels obviously have way deeper relationships with those customers. And a lot of the times those folks have a, uh, have a much have a much more robust digital capability to develop those relationships with their listeners or, or viewers or, or readers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and look, I think it, it totally depends on your business and your business model, right? So obviously, there's no one size fits all. But for us, I would much rather partner with PwC or a Deloitte and build relationships there. And um, while it's not as scalable, you know, but I'd rather have PwC drive an engagement with 25 amazing companies than have a random third-party content syndication company, you know, drive engagement with 25,000 companies that are not a fit for us and, and not relevant. And it's just a looser relationship. So we tend to invest more that way, thinking through strategically, how can we get in the door of the top 100, top 500 companies we care about, as opposed to, uh, you know, casting a super wide net with, a, with, with shallow depth. So when you're talking about kind of those deep relationships, you know, what is your relationship with sales? How do you, you know, as you're trying to cast that much smaller net, it seems like you potentially could have the sales team that's super excited about getting more targeted leads or, or targeted engagements, or you could have the folks saying, hey, there's not enough volume here. That's why it's so important to stay in alignment with sales leadership on what the strategy is. Is you're not aligned strategically, um, you're going to run into that conflict. And so what does that mean? It means that you either agree and you have a handshake that says strategically, our company's go-to-market strategy is going to be built on a smaller number of higher value accounts. And so let's not obsess about measuring mass volume metrics. Like I need, you know, 100,000 MQLs this month, right? Rather, our key performance indicator would be something like of the 100 target accounts, how many of those showed signs of engagements this month? And like that drives the business. But if you're not aligned, then you, of course, you're going to have another sales leader down the chain somewhere complaining that they don't have enough volume, right? And so um, that alignment at the very top is just critical to getting this right. Do you have a favorite campaign that you've worked on, uh, Zora? Oh, that's a great question. Let me see. Um, favorite end-to-end campaign. Um, Everybody always says it's the one they're working on now, for reference. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Ian, have I told you about subscribe.com yet? Yeah, I know, right? Um, like I got, there's a few examples, right? I think some of the some of the most fun ones to me are, yeah, like look, obviously I'm I'm pumped about this whole subscribe.com initiative, which is is um, if we can get this right, right? You visualize having a, a totally independent media brand that um, that we can create a massive organic audience with. I don't know if that counts as one campaign. It's an ongoing strategic initiative. So I'm I'm pumped about that. I think what um, the other direction would be something super targeted. And we've been really good at that as well. So visualize us wanting to do an event in New York and get five CEOs in a room and maybe five CFOs. And so laying out the tracks over the course of three months to be able to deliver a high power room like that um, from the combination of landing a you know really compelling event experience to who are the special guests that you're going to get to come in. And as an example, we had uh, our CEO has a relationship with Jim Cramer. And you know, he's based in New York. So you got him to show up. Uh, you leverage a couple of board members, you fly them out. And then you're lining up the direct mail, you're lining up the executive outreach ahead of time to make that dinner and that experience happen um, is pretty cool. And you know, when we pull it off, we pull it off well. And you're and literally bringing CEOs of Fortune 500 companies to the table. 
um, is something that's really, really hard to do. Uh, but when you pull it off, it's pretty cool to, uh, to like look, in, look across the room and see that, wow, like we pulled this, this amount of power together in, in one space is, is pretty fun. Well, and that's, you know, that's one of those things. If you were to say, hey, this white paper got five downloads, right? And you're like, okay, well, normally we get a thousand downloads. So I guess that wasn't a very good one. But if those five were the five people in that room, the five CEOs in that room, and, uh, you know, it was authored by Jim Cramer or something like that, you'd be like, this is the best white paper we've ever done. Like, how did we figure this out? I'm curious, like, how much effort do you put into like those type of engagements? It's been a high value for us. Again, it's like, it ties back to the strategy. If your strategy is we're going to hit our growth targets by expanding market share in a, in a smaller market from you know 100 customers in that segment to 150 customers in that segment this year, that dictates all the tactics, right? And in, in a world like that, you don't care about MQLs as, a, as an indicator, right? You care about you know the percentage of those accounts that are engaging. And then all your creativity and energy goes into thinking about how can I get the next 50 accounts to really pay attention to us? And not superficially, but to deeply engage with us, particularly a company like Zora, where we're selling something transformational. You, you're, you know, you're not going to rip out your billing system on a whim because you read a nice white paper, right? This is a strategic corporate initiative that we're talking about here, where people are spending, you know, millions of dollars. And so, through that lens, um, a more focused approach really makes sense for us. When you have that type of relationship that you're building, right? You're building like this depth of engagement where I'm sure your salespeople are armed with extremely complex use cases and, and case studies and way papers and things like that. And I'd imagine that, you know, every single one of those type of massive sales is extremely unique, right? There's all sorts of different things. Are you partnering with sales to like help them create those assets and different things like that? And do you take those things and put them out into the wild or is, is it kind of like bespoke things that you're creating for each for each account? So I'd say it's a mix. We have recently started experimenting with maturity models, as an example, right? So we have a we have an arm of the company called the Subscribed Institute, and what that is 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 we've got some brilliant people, like management consulting backgrounds, who come in and they study this stuff, and they put together these these maturity models that says, look, as you become a subscription company, you're going to go through phase zero, then phase one, and here's what's going to happen and the challenges you're going to run into, the metrics you should be measuring, et cetera. And so what we found is we could produce a tool like that. It works both up the funnel and down the funnel um, and all the way through the sales cycle, You know, where we could put a version of something like that on our website to drive initial interest as a lead capture thing when people say, sure, I'll take the assessment. And then sure enough, you talk to a salesperson, um, you're presented with something similar you know, in the sales process. And then ultimately, if you're good at it, what happens is it runs all the way through customer go live, and that becomes the roadmap for growth over the next three years. So if, if you land on something standard like that, and, and that's what we're doing for each of our verticals, um, um, you know, you, you can get the depth of expertise and you can have an asset that scales out, but still has room for configuration once you get down to the individual customer level. I'd say, you know, the other thing we're starting to do, and, and this just depends on how aggressive you want to be with your ABM strategy is um, for certain of our large accounts, we, um, we are doing customer-specific content. You know, these are you know, visualized you know, Fortune 50 companies out there, multinational corporations where we're in at one division and um, we will package up our core assets and pivot it and slap branding on that reflects that particular customer. And then for one company, we've actually gone on a, a world tour within that company doing little micro events you know, from office to office with, with some really highly personalized 
content. But again, you got to make the economics work. For us, it makes sense because this is a you know true multi-billion dollar company. And so the opportunity is massive. So it made sense. Well, yeah. And it's so cool to hear, hear you know, marketing, you know, doing that stuff, right? I think then that's why it's so fascinating to me is that if, if Kyle wasn't around and it's like, you know, you just have, you have a marketing team that's not involved in any of these conversations. It's like, how does it hook back into what you're doing externally? Right. And it's like those, I love the, I love the, that you said, um, you know, with those models that you can use it up and down the funnel, because at the end of the day, it's like, this is a ridiculously powerful asset. And obviously, you know, then you take all that stuff and you weaponize it on subscribe.com, right? It's like all of these things, all of these, you know, customer success stories or transformation stories, you know, the more and more and more that those are evangelized, you know, the more people see the light on the fact that like, hey, this is, this is not a trend. This is, uh, you know, a shift. It's a completely virtuous cycle, right? So the way we think about it, this isn't just a marketing strategy. Um, it's, a, it's a company strategy. And one of our points of differentiation as a business is that we casually will say, like, we're, we're subscription Sherpas, right, as a company. Is, is it the reason to go with us is because we have better data, better insights, and a better product. And so not only, you know, we'll sell you a better mousetrap, but we will guide you all the way through. And that has that, to fill that brand promise, it has to be true all the way down through implementation. But if it is true, then what happens is we get access to better data because we're selling to better companies. Um, we find better ways to make them successful. And to your point, it feeds back in the top of the funnel. We translate that into learnings and content and, and assets that show up in Teens newsletter or on subscribe.com uh, in a video series and the cycle repeats itself and grows over time. So that's the master plan, Ian. Don't tell anybody about it. <laughs> uh, deepest, darkest demand, gen secrets indeed. Uh, how do you view your website? It's a two-pronged strategy, right? So I think what we, if you look at our website, um, zwar.com right now, it's, you see it hasn't quite been transformed yet, but it's a bit of a, frankly, a bit of a mess because we've got our thought leadership stuff mixed in there with our product stuff. And so that was one of the strategies behind the subscribe.com launches. We decided we want to separate those two experiences into two different ones. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about the subscribe.com experience as being the educational, unbiased one where you're learning, you know, you're, you're getting educated. Um, we want the Zawara.com website to be the place to go when you are in market and when you are ready to look at our software. And so we've got some transformation work to do there, but that, that'd be my vision for that website is you show up there and it is the best representation of the value you can get from our product and our technology. And um, when you're in market, we want to put that right in your face. But if you're not in market um, yet, and you're just learning, don't worry about our software yet. Right? You should worry about our content and getting educated because we know at some point you're going to have the right strategic initiative at your business and you're going to want to learn about our product. So we'll follow you back towards Zora.com. Let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that was with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or just anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust up in your career? Oh man, for sure. Let me think. Uh, I'll have one. Um, there's tension going back to Salesforce days, back in my product marketing days. And it's funny because now that I own the demand side of things too, I have the opposite perspective. I remember pouring, you know, hours and hours of time into creating these really compelling product demos, videos. And like perfecting every last 
word and drop shadow and, you know, squeezing two seconds out of the video here and there is being really immensely proud of this thing and going, man, everybody needs to see this. And then, you know, handing it over to the demand team saying, here you go. Okay. Put it on the website, please. You know, everyone should see this thing. And then boom, form goes in front of it. And you're like, you're like, what are you doing? Like, this is like a commercial. Like you don't ask someone to fill out a form to watch your commercial. This is our product. And remember having knocked down, drag out fights with that team about what is the essence of what this video is, is supposed to do for the business, right? Is this a thing we should put on YouTube and, and drive millions of views to it, right? Or is this something that is responsible for driving leads to the business? And the reality is like both teams are right, you know? So that's that's a tension. And maybe that's where Ladney's coming from at Sixth Sense is how do you resolve that tension that allows us to reduce the friction in terms of consumption of the content you want, but at the same time, fulfill the tracking and the science that the demand needs in order to, to hit their targets. So that was, that was a fun one. Yeah, that is good. And it speaks to like how technology evolves, right? Where you're like, oh, now we can do both. You know, we don't need to hide something behind a big form. Uh, and we can, you, we can get this out there and now we can track who's hanging out with it, especially when you're you know, targeting fortune 50 accounts, right? It's like, oh, great. We, we know who the people are, who we want to target. Uh, and now we don't have to, to get in the knockdown drag out. Let's get into our quick hits. These are quick questions, quick answers, just like conversational marketing with qualified.com. Qualified prospects are on your website right now, and you can talk to them quickly with qualified.com. It's quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com and learn more. Quick questions. Kyle, are you ready? Let's do it. Number one. Is there one hobby or habit that you've had in shelter in place? I have a, I have a healthy habit and then I have an unhealthy habit. Healthy habit is I am, without the commute time, I am forcing myself to get up and, and get some kind of workout in every morning. Kind of boring, but it actually feels fantastic. But then I counter that with my unhealthy habit, which is immediately after workout, I have developed an uh, addiction to uh, frozen breakfast burritos. Uh, so that completes my morning routine is go burn some calories and then immediately like replenish those with a, uh, a frozen breakfast burrito. I think we talked about this in the past because we've been making frozen breakfast burritos in my house as well. And it really is all time. Great. <laughs> <laughs> They're amazing. So I know. yeah. Um, okay. What about, uh, what about something that you've been binging recently? Uh, whether it's a show or a podcast or something like that. We as a family. So, um, all right, I got I got two girls, and they're now at the age where they're staying up as late as my wife and I. And so, part of me sort of misses the days when they're smart. We could put them down and we could watch our own shows. So now we got to find shows that, like you know, we can all watch as a family. And the one we hit on in quarantine, uh, which is which is appealing, is Alone. I don't know if you've seen this show on uh, it's on History Channel. They get these ten survivalists. It's like what Survivor was meant to be, except it's like real survivalists, right? So you get these people. And they, they drop them in the uh, in the Arctic. They get to pick like 10 items to bring with them. And that's just, there's like, all right, we'll see ya. And that's it. They just hang out and they make their, these crazy forts and they like hunt bears with bow and arrows. And uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's fun for the whole family. What, uh, what are your survival items? You don't have to give me all 10, but at least a couple. Um, so I, I, uh, I don't know if, uh, I have my items, but I'll give you one that, that my seven-year-old gave on her list of 10. She's like, dad, if you were me, I would just bring our house with everything. That's just one thing apparently. So <laughs> that's pretty good. Have you, um, have you had any, uh, any 
longing desires uh, for one particular place or meal or spot you want to visit after uh, after this is all said and done? Totally. We uh, booked like a year ahead of time this amazing spot in Maui for for family vacation. And we were like talking it up for months ahead of time, like months and months and months. And uh, to pull the plug on that thing was uh, was rough. So we are, uh, uh, you know, every weekend uh, just trying to forecast out when we think we can get this trip in. But a uh, family trip to Maui will be the first thing we do when this thing cracks open. You uh, you did a, a piece a little bit ago about five elements of a great pitch. Give me just like, give us a uh, a little bit of like, Give us a pitch on how how people need to do uh, need to do their pitch. Sure, let me let me make it simple. I think you know there's there's the there's the five element version. I think Latin made me do, but I think there's the we, we think about it is there's a three room version of this, right? So visualize three rooms. What does that mean? Like pretend you're going into uh, you know museum. You know they don't stick the sculptures in the same room with the paintings, right? They tend to kind of meter it out. So you go from one place and it's really really interesting, and that draws you to the next place, and that's really really interesting. And um, for me and for us, it's where, you know, we think about it this way. The third room, the last room is your product room. So that's when you start when you say, what is the really compelling value proposition that our technology has that that you can't get anywhere else? Most companies start there. Like we got to figure that out. Right. But then the next thing they do is we'll pull up. Like what's the business value? So that's room two for us. Right. So you say room two is. uh is about, you know, what, what can I do in my business, you know, once I have that technology? And most companies kind of stop there, right? But I think the essence of a good pitch really brings you back to the first room. The very first room you go into is what is the overarching change that's occurring in the market, in the world that you're operating that gives your company a reason for being? And that change is happening whether or not you exist as a company. It just is. And you can't fight it. It's inevitable. I think that the best storytelling companies, best pitch companies start there. And so, you know, we, we hit on a couple of these earlier, but, uh, you know, the, the classic Salesforce, no software framing, right? That, that, that change was happening, whether or not Salesforce existed, they just got to ride that wave. And, you know, we did something similar to war. We said, look, this change, this shift from selling products to selling services, that's, that's happening no matter what. And so the question is, what are you going to do about it as a company? And so I think that's, that's, a, that's how we think about it as a three-room strategy, Starting with room one is almost sometimes the most important one. And you work your way down to your product and your tech. Yeah, it's like Simon Snack Star with Y, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Well, Kyle, this has been great. Always good to talk to you and, and awesome hearing these uh, demand gen secrets. Anything that we haven't talked about that you want to share with our listeners? Let's see. Ian, did I mention subscribe.com? <laughs> Uh, is that, is that uh, a website or what is this? Uh, I've heard this. This yeah. sounds great. Look, so now so I'm, I'm telling you this ahead of launch, knowing that at some point out there, you're going to drop this podcast. And that means I have to get my website done before. That's right. So really I'm putting pressure on myself. I know, but like genuinely, I think the content we put out there is pretty cool. I think if you, if you were to go there, check it out and subscribe to the newsletter, you were talking about your subscribed to teens thing, whether or not, you know, the, the subject matter is relevant to you and your job, or at least give you a sense of, of how Zawar thinks about content in, in terms of a demand gen strategy. So it's worth just checking out from a curiosity perspective, if, if nothing else. Oh, I mean, I, I'll, I'll double down and go further on that. I mean, it, you should, everybody should read the book. Like it really is. If you don't, if you don't kind of fundamentally understand like why subscriptions are so important, if you haven't looked at like 
every single software company's financials compared to like non-technology enabled companies. Like there's a reason why. And I think that, you know, it's not just tech, it's subscriptions. And I, um, you know, teens newsletter is great. I'm super excited for the site and we will definitely be, uh, be reading and, uh, checking it out. Cool. Cool. That's it, man. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.